0: Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. The Biden administration may say it doesn't want genocide in Gaza to explode into a regional war, but actions speak louder than words. This is
1: a region that's on fire, and obviously uh, the peace movement, the ceasefire movement uh, needs to up our game if we are to somehow prevent World War III.
0: And four years later, the family of a Maryland man, shot to death while handcuffed in police custody, is still seeking justice.
2: Not only was Mr. Green seated in the front seat of a police cruiser, but also handcuffed to his back, and never posed a threat to Mr. Owen or anyone before he was killed.
0: All that and more, coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Educators are warning that Claudine Gay's resignation as president of Harvard University will be used to bolster reactionary campaigns against academic freedom, critical race theory, diversity, and the right to oppose Israeli apartheid and the genocide of Palestinians. Gay, the target of a far-right smear campaign, fell into a trap set for her by Representative Elise Stefanik of New York during a December 2023 congressional hearing, during which Gay tried to both defend freedom of speech on Harvard's campus, but at the same time personally denounced commonly used pro-Palestine chants as hateful and anti-Semitic. But her effort to faithfully mouth talking points, obviously given to her by Harvard counsel, was still not good enough. There was no correct answer to Stefanik's loaded questions that equated anti Zionism with anti Semitism and the desire to kill all Israelis, even as Israel was at that time committing mass slaughter of Palestinians. Gay was also targeted with a far right smear campaign with claims of plagiarism or incorrect citations in her writing. She announced her resignation on January 2nd, 2024, stating in a letter, quote, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus, end quote, she said. Frontline communities and activists fighting the fracked gas Mountain Valley Pipeline are claiming an important victory. On December 29th, a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission revealed that the distance of a proposed Southgate extension of the pipeline in North Carolina has been cut in half with fewer water crossings and elimination of a planned polluting compressor station. In response to the news, the Protect Our Water Heritage Rights Coalition said in a statement, this news is a win for the movement that will be celebrated by emboldened resistance in the new year, quote. On the other side of the world, another battle for resources is unfolding. Ethiopia and Somaliland recently signed a joint agreement which allows Ethiopia full access to develop a seaport in the Gulf of Aden, The deal would provide landlocked Ethiopia with a population of more than 100 million full access to the Red Sea. Currently, Ethiopia uses Djibouti and ports as far away as Kenya for trade and commerce. The African Union and other parties are seeking to mediate any conflict brewing between Somalia and Ethiopia since Somaliland is considered a breakaway region since 1991 and only recognized by Taiwan. And finally, in culture and media, award-winning journalist and filmmaker John Pilger died December 30th in London. Consortium News wrote of him, quote, Pilger, whose books, films and articles informed generations of people eager to cut through official narratives and propaganda on the Palestinian question, U.S. wars executed in Vietnam, Iraq and elsewhere, the one it plans for China. The state of public medicine in Britain, the treatment of aborigines in his native Australia, and a host of other critical public issues has died in London at 84. End quote. Consortium News added that Pilger, who was on its board of directors, was a recipient of numerous awards, including winning British Journalist of the Year twice and was awarded with CN's Gary Webb Freedom of the Press Award. And finally, the second National March on Washington for Palestine is happening January 13th, 1 p.m. on the National Mall. This mass mobilization is initiated by the American Muslim Task Force for Palestine, which includes many national Muslim American organizations. The Answer Coalition has been invited to be the national partner for this next massive mobilization and is organizing buses from many states. Demands include an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza, a stop to the unconditional U.S. funding of Israel's genocide against Gaza and the occupation of Palestine, and to hold Israel accountable for war crimes committed against the Palestinian people and their continuous violations of international law. That's January 13th, 1 p.m. on the National Mall. For more information, go to answercoalition.org. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Iveram, and now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston, the author of more than 40 books, including Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. And I should say Happy New Year. I haven't been saying Happy New Year much, but Happy New Year and a a new year uh, with liberation from Zionism and imperialism.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: So I, I guess I want to start with three attacks this week on January 2nd, 3rd and 4th. Most recently on Thursday, a U.S. airstrike in Baghdad killed a member of a militia that has claimed several attacks on illegal U.S. air bases in Iraq and Syria, Mushtaq Jawad al-Saidi, also known as Abu Taqwa. And he was killed right in the middle of Baghdad, which was unusual for these types of strikes. Then before that, on Wednesday in Iran, there was a massive bombing near the tomb of General Qasem Soleimani, and these were hundreds of people who were either killed or uh, wounded uh, at a ceremony marking the anniversary of the U.S. drone murder assassination of him. And on Tuesday, atop a top Hamas official, Saleh al aruri was assassinated outside of Beirut, and. And that was in a uh, strike that um, I believe that, I believe Israel claimed responsibility for it. Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, said that, you know, this attack would not go unpunished. So I guess my question is, at the same time you hear U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and other U.S. officials saying that they don't want a wider war, to spring from this ongoing genocide in Gaza. But at the same time, it seems to be participating in provocations that almost ensure that there will be a wider war. So what's your take?
1: Well, the scuttlebutt is that the Israelis would like to drag the United States deeper into this regional conflict because their attempt to satisfy their alleged objectives in Gaza are not going very well. In so far as, obviously, Hamas has not been destroyed. Obviously, all of the so-called detainees have not been returned. And as Mr. Netanyahu stated in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago, the attempt to so-called de-radicalize the West Bank and Gaza certainly is an abysmal failure. And I think that on this side of the Atlantic, there is a desire to go along with that Israeli program insofar as it could lead to a wider conflict against Iran. Because recall that for decades now, perhaps ever since the Iranian revolution of the late 1970s, the neocons have lusted for overthrow of that particular regime. After the 2003 overthrow of Saddam Hussein, the neocons awakened to the point that they had strengthened Iran further, which only strengthened their bloodlust with regard to overthrowing Iran. Overthrowing Iran not only would satisfy many Israeli hawks on both sides of the Atlantic, but would also weaken BRICS to which, let us say, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, to which iran will presumably be joining in 2024 it will presumably weaken the shanghai cooperation organization a counterpoint to the u.s dominated nato north atlantic treaty organization iran has an affiliation with the SCO, and of course iran is a major supplier of petroleum to the people's republic of china likewise the people's republic of china helped to broker within recent months, an entente between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and obviously, if the Iranian regime is overthrown, that will make the Saudis much more pliable than they already are. And I also think it's fair to say that we should keep a close eye on this attack in Iran in particular, because claiming discredit or credit, if you like, has been the so-called Islamic State, uh, these religious zealots. Uh, If that turns out to be accurate, then that also may point to something perhaps even more disturbing, uh, which is the ongoing relationship between religious zealots in Washington, uh, which we've seen exhibited on the battlefield of Syria most recently, which we also are beginning to get a glimpse of, I'm afraid to say, in certain parts of West Africa with the organization in recent months of the Alliance of Sahel States, including Niger, Burkina Faso, and Mali, all of whom are fighting religious zealots, religious insurgencies, and it has not escaped the attention of those particular states, that France and the United States might seek to weaken their alliance by aligning with these religious zealots. Likewise, with regard to Israel, Israel, that is to say, Mr. Gallant, the chief military spokesman, he claimed the other day that Israel is fighting a seven-front war on Gaza, West Bank, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Yemen. Which is quite extraordinary. Obviously, it bespeaks an abysmal failure in Israeli diplomacy because most states tried to avoid a two-front war. In fact, that statement by Mr. Gallant might have been an underestimate because already in right-wing Israeli media, you see grumbling about alleged smuggling of military materiel from Jordan across the river from the West Bank helping the Palestinians resist encroachment and incursions by the 800,000 strong settlers armed oftentimes with rifles from the United States of America. We know that the Jordanian population is heavily Palestinian or well-represented in the upper reaches of Jordanian society, which suggests that if they so chose, they would have the wherewithal to supply their brothers and sisters across the river in the West Bank. And even though it sounds beyond the scope of imagination right now, uh, there has also been talk in Israel of bombing the so-called Rafa crossing between Gaza and Egypt, uh, perhaps uh, bombing the Egyptian side. Now, Egypt uh, has been bought off in terms of General al-Sisi uh, by Washington, but uh, the populace, the Egyptian populace, uh, might not allow for any other alternative uh, but to engage in conflict with Israel if Israel bombs Egyptian territory. So uh, this is a region that's on fire. And obviously, uh, the peace movement, the ceasefire movement, uh, needs to up our game if we are to somehow prevent World War Three.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to you about... Some other statements made this week in terms of whether uh, Israel is actually paying any attention to its benefactor. But in terms of upping our game, I thought maybe I should go to a more positive subject. And that is, of course, since we last spoke, the Republic of South Africa filed an application instituting proceedings against Israel before the International Court of Justice, alleging violations of its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. And this is the Genocide Convention. And a few weeks ago, I had Sam Husseini, the writer and organizer activist based here in Washington, D.C., and he was arguing that all these calls for people to go to the International Criminal Court commonly known as the ICC were futile because the ICC has done nothing in the decades in decades about you know Israel's ongoing campaigns of plural of genocide and said that you know this needed to be brought to the international court of justice and he actually you know started a kind of a digital campaign around this And so anyway, I was really excited to hear on December 29th, uh, less than a week ago, that this has actually happened. So I guess I want to ask you as someone who's kind of follows these types of cases, you know, what happens next? We know that there's going to be a hearing that will begin before we're back on the air, beginning on January 11th and going into January 12th, the date of our next show. And there's also a coalition of organizations, peace, social justice organizations around the world that are encouraging other countries to also file in support of South Africa's application. So saying that this will strengthen the case being heard in less than a week and also make a stronger case for for Israel to be held accountable.
1: Held accountable indeed, and certainly uh, we take our hats off to the regime of Pretoria for having the moxie and the gumption to file this 84-page bill of indictment, uh, which is a recitation of the many crimes that have been committed uh, against the people of Gaza by the Israeli war criminals. It takes gumption because South Africa has one of the most substantial Jewish Zionist communities on planet Earth, uh, it's perhaps number four after Israel and the United States, France, perhaps even larger than that of France, by the way. And at the same time, it's going through an election campaign in 2024, whereby the former president, Jacob Zuma, has broken away from the ruling African National Congress to back a so-called MK party, uh, which obviously opens the door for further U.S. interference in the internal affairs of the South African regime, I should also say that uh, the ties between Israel and South Africa obviously predate the coming to independence of South Africa in 1994, not only in terms of nuclear cooperation, that is to say Israel helping to supply apartheid South Africa with nuclear technology leading to nuclear weapons, But also, some of the leading spokespersons and authorities in Israel actually had roots in South Africa. I'm thinking in particular of the notorious foreign minister Abba Ibn during the 1967 war against Egypt and Syria and other uh, countries in the region, uh, whose roots were deeply implanted uh, in South Africa. So South Africa is going to need our support because the U.S. authorities already have rejected Uh, this petition as being, in their mind, meritless and baseless and without foundation. Again, it'll open the door for further attempts to interfere in the internal affairs uh, of South Africa. And as well, it's going to be an elongated process because even after the International Court of Justice holds its hearings, which I assume will be extensive, I take it that the case will ultimately be referred to the United Nations Security Council, where, of course, you can expect a U.S. veto, which obviously underscores even further the attempt by these U.S.-based organizations, including Black Alliance for Peace, the U.S. Peace Council, uh, to rally forces in this country on behalf of the South African petition.
0: Right, and... I wanted to mention how there was, even after this petition was filed by South Africa, Israeli officials this week, I think even on Thursday uh, the 4th, were doubling down on their conversation about so-called voluntary migration of Palestinians out of Gaza and, and actually resettling uh Jewish people who were forced to move uh from Gaza nearly two decades ago because they were illegal settlements, just like there are illegal settlements all over the West Bank. So apparently uh the US uh voiced some mild criticism of these statements so on Wednesday uh Smotrich uh, Israel's finance minister said that the mass expulsion of Gazans would be a quote humanitarian solution and and said that you know Israel couldn't afford to to live next to a basically a hostile neighbor whatever a hostile population and then before that itamar ben gavir israel's national security minister said something similar advocating for the quote resettlement of palestinians outside of gaza so the uh, the us state department responded saying that the the comments were irresponsible and that they don't align with what biden has quote been told repeatedly and consistently by the government of israel Uh, including by the prime minister, end quote. So Ben Gavir tweeted during this back and forth, said that on Twitter that Israel is, quote, not another star on the American flag. And then he went on to say, the United States is our best friend. But first of all, we will do what is best for the state of Israel. The migration of hundreds of thousands from Gaza will allow the residents of the enclave to return home and live in security and protect the IDF soldiers. That last part, I don't understand. They're going to protect the IDF soldiers, end quote. Anyway, that's what he wrote on Twitter. So, you know, this kind of really bold incendiary talk about forced relocation, regardless whether they call it voluntary or not, is just another uh, proof point in terms of for this uh, charge of genocide, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you mass expulsion, forced relocation, you know, that's a, whether it's a war crime or international crime, I mean, it seems to me it's part of the indictment in terms of genocide against Gazans.
1: Well, it has to be taken very seriously because we already know that in London, there is an ongoing attempt to deport undocumented workers from Great Britain into Rwanda. Only litigation has held that up thus far. We also know that uh, in the history of the North Atlantic community, there has been repeated attempts to deport folk. Uh, I'm thinking of the black American population in particular in the 1860s. The Lincoln regime, the sainted Lincoln regime was negotiating with Brazil, with Panama, with Ecuador, (laughs) with the Dominican Republic. In fact, The attempt to deport us all to the Dominican Republic barely failed. Otherwise, uh, we would not be sitting here in North America. And successfully, about a century ago, there was a massive population transfer of Turkish nationals in Greece into Turkey or Turkey, and vice versa. Greek nationals in Turkey into Greece. And with regard to sending Palestinians into Congo, we must take notice of the fact that perhaps the most substantial- You mean that
0: was, that was something that, that that was leaked? I don't think we mentioned that to listeners, this whole Congo proposition. Well, I'm
1: just saying it should be taken seriously. Uh, we, we should not see it as some sort of pipe dream. Mm-hmm. That is to say that it's happened before. It can happen again, particularly since not only the British Rwanda deal, but perhaps the strongest force in the Congolese economy- is an Israeli billionaire, Dan Gertler, And uh, I'm sure he's in on the negotiations uh, either directly or indirectly. So once again, it only underscores the necessity for the peace movement, the pro-cease-fire movement to step up its game because the situation is becoming ever more dire.
0: Finally, Gerald, I wanted to update our listeners about how we look at the ongoing slaughter and genocide in Gaza. Over the holidays, I saw a report from UNRWA, um, a United Nations organization that calculated the missing as well as the dead, because we've heard figures of more than 20,000, more than 21,000, more than 22,000 of of people murdered, you know, mainly civilians, mainly women and children in Gaza but this report actually included the missing and so including the missing there were counted at least 5000 more so whether whatever figure you're using or you're hearing it was including the missing between 27 and 30,000 people dead or presumed dead and when we add the the number of people wounded the middle east i reported that 4% of gaza's population has been either killed Presumed killed or wounded. And if I try to extrapolate that to what would be the U.S. population, 4% of 300,000, I can't do quick math right now, (laughs) but it's millions of people. And I think that people should keep that in mind as we continue to stay in the streets. It's definitely here in Washington, D.C., the second. National March on Washington for Palestine is scheduled for Saturday, January 13th. January 13th? Yeah, for January 13th. And so that is something that people will be able to definitely tie in the traditions of, of Martin Luther King, just all the things that, you know, he stood for in terms of not only peace and, talked about the triple evils of war, racism, and poverty. And basically, these are all the, the the crimes, if you will, that Israel has tried to inflict on the Palestinian people for 75 years now. So it's an appropriate uh, weekend to, to march again for Palestine.
1: Oh, I- indeed. And there is a perversely hopeful sign. When I see the scenes from the settlements on the West Bank and from Israel proper of uh, these Israelis with rifles slung over their shoulders walking down urban street it reminds me of the last days of Rhodesia before it becomes Zimbabwe in 1980 the last days of apartheid South Africa uh, pre-1994 and again that is a perversely hopeful sign because let us hope and let us struggle for the reality that we may be witnessing an ignominious conclusion of this settler colonial project in historic Palestine.
0: All right. Well, that might be a good point to leave our conversation uh, today. I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. a 43-year-old man who was shot seven times and killed by Prince George's County, Maryland police in January during that fateful year of 2020. When police officer Michael Owen shot him, he was sitting in the front seat of the police cruiser with his hands cuffed behind his back. But almost four years later, Green's family was shocked that what looked like a slam dunk case of police murder resulted in an acquittal on December 5th, 2023. On December 11th, they spoke at a press conference along with others whose family members have been killed by police, members of the Maryland Coalition for Justice and Accountability, and members of ACLU Maryland.
2: Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Yanette Emanuel, Group Policy Director for the ACLU of Maryland, and we're gathered here today with the family of William Green, as well as community members, uh, speaking out on last week's verdict. Uh, in just a moment, I'll share... A statement from the coalition and then we'll hear from the family members, other family members of victims of police violence and community members and there'll be opportunities for questions as well. In the wake of the recent acquittal of Corporal Michael Owen on all charges related to the killing of William Green, the Maryland Coalition of Justice and Police Accountability expresses profound heartbreak and deep disappointment in the Justice system's failure to hold Mr. Owen accountable for this tragic incident. The acquittal of Corporal Michael Owen represents a grave miscarriage of justice that further exacerbates the erosion of trust in our law enforcement and judicial systems. The loss of Mr. William Green's life demands a thorough and unbiased examination of the events leading to his death, and the failure to secure a conviction on any charges only deepens the wounds inflicted upon his family and the community. This acquittal sadly adds to distressing historical pattern where police officers in Prince George's County have seemingly killed with impunity and taken the lives of many black people. They killed Archie Elliot III, who was also handcuffed and seated in the front seat of a police cruiser when he was shot and killed, and there was no justice. They killed Gary Hopkins Jr., and there was no justice. They killed Prince Jones and Leonard Shand, and there was no justice, and countless others. And still there was never justice. This recurring theme raises significant concerns about the county and state's lack of accountability within law enforcement and despite mounting evidence and public outcry the acquittal of Michael Owen exemplifies a systemic failure to hold officers responsible for their actions. It is disheartening to witness another instance where law enforcement officers face no consequences for taking life of an unarmed individual. Especially in the case where not only was Mr. Green seated in the front seat of a police cruiser, but also handcuffed to his back, and never posed a threat to Mr. Owen or anyone before he was killed. The real threat, however, was in fact Mr. Owen. It was widely reported in the media that Owen not only killed before, but also had a violent history of brutalizing residents and filing false charges. This case, along with too many others over decades, underscores the urgent need for community control of the police disciplinary process. It is incomprehensible how officials in Prince George County allowed Mr. Owen to get away with over a decade of misconduct, including triggering the early warning system use of force several times. Yet he was still in a position to kill Mr. Green on duty. It was completely unacceptable that a police department that was under the investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice at the time of this incident and sued by its own black and Latinx officers for misconduct and fostering culture of racism, did not have body-worn cameras equipped on all of their officers, especially given the fact that PGPD's body-worn camera program was rolled out in 2017. It was senseless for full transparency not to be the number one priority for the police department. The Marin Coalition for Justice and Police Accountability stands united with the demand of accountability for and justice for William Green's death, and we also support the family's call upon the Department of Justice to conduct a criminal investigation into Corporal Owen and federally prosecute him for civil rights violations. Next, we'll hear from Miss Marion Gray Hopkins, the mother of Gary Hopkins, who was killed by PG police in 1999. And Miss Marion is also the founder of the Coalition for Cousin Brothers. Good evening,
3: and thank hey, you for being here this evening. Again, my name is Marion Gray Hopkins, and I stand in solidarity with the family of William Wu Green along with my daughter who is here with me, the sister of my son, Gary Hopkins, Jr. I'm also the executive director of the Coalition of Concerned Mothers, which is an organization, unfortunately, that is comprised of mothers and other impacted family members whose loved ones have been murdered by law enforcement in a racist and unjust system. More importantly, I know and understand the pain of this family as I am the mother and now have to be the voice of my son, Gary Hopkins Jr., who was murdered unjustly by two Prince George's County police officers, Brian Catlett, the shooter, and Devin C. White, the instigator, on November 27, 1999, following his attendance at a dance at a local fire station where he was the peacemaker that dreadful night. Only Brian Catlett was charged and ultimately acquitted, as we see in so many cases. There was no accountability and there was no justice for Gary or for my family. I stand here 24 years later in disbelief, appalled, angry, damn it, I'm frustrated, I'm outraged at the verdict of not guilty for this murderer, former Corporal Michael Owen. For me and my family, this is like deja vu. Sorry. Our case was the first time in Prince George's County history that an officer in uniform was charged for killing a civilian, although it wasn't murder. We, as in the William Green case, had incompetent attorneys, We had a state's attorney, Jack Johnson, who was seeking to move into a higher position, which he did by using my family as a pawn in his political game that even today appears to be a political game. As with the case with my son, the officer should have been found guilty. And now in this case where I sat in that courtroom every single day, I heard the testimony I saw the evidence that was presented that clearly showed Michael Owen was guilty. I have no idea what the jurors saw, what they heard, what the instructions were that they were given, but they got it wrong. They got it wrong. This case, in my opinion, was, I think Aisha Braves said it was not a slam dunk. This case was a slam dunk. The verdict is another indication that black and brown people, there will be no justice. And there is no justice if you're a black or brown person in this county and across this country today. We will never get justice unless we revamp the system, bringing closure to the loopholes that protect police, allowing them, like with Michael Owen, to go free, to do what he has done in the past 10 years of his career, to brutalize, to terrorize the the citizens of Prince George's County and kill again. And again, and again, this man has murdered three times. And I tell the citizens of Prince George's County, if you don't want this injustice to hit your door, because there's a possibility that it can, that we must band together with the power that we as the people have and tell the elected officials that enough is enough. Again, I stand with this family and support the demands that they are making and asking for as they work towards what? we feel could be some sense of accountability for the wrongful death of their beloved William, Boo Boo Green. Thank you.
2: Next we'll hear from Ms. Dorothy Elliott, the mother of Archie Artie Elliott III, who was killed by Prince George's County Police in 1993 and a member of the Prince George's County Coalition for Police Accountability.
4: Good evening, everyone. I'm glad that you're here to support the Green family. My heartfelt thoughts go out to the Green family and what they're going through, and especially after that not guilty verdict. This was another case of Prince George's justice, and Prince George's justice equals a travesty of justice. It reminds me of the case of my son, and there are great similarities. And what happened to William Green and my son. 30 years ago, my son was stopped by a District Heights police officer. My son was searched, the same as William Green. My son was handcuffed with his hands behind his back, the same as William Green. He was placed in the front seat of a police cruiser, the same as Mr. Green. And I think that's where the similarities end. Uh, Wayne Cheney and Jason Levitt stood by the cruiser after my son had been placed in there. 22 shots rang out, and 14 of those shots struck my son. He was a sitting target for those people. He didn't pose a threat. It was very barbaric and heinous. I believe that what they did was wrong. Was this another case of Prince George's justice? Usually when police kill They don't get any time. They get a slap on the wrist, and then they go on their way. Wayne Cheney killed a second time after killing my son. And again, no indictments, no charges. After a seven-month investigation, the grand jury declared that they could not indict those officers. That tore our world upside down, because when you have a son who's healthy, no problems, on his way home, He however, from stopping to do happy hour like a lot of people do. And he told that officer, all I want to do is just go home and go to sleep. That didn't happen. So I'm here today to make sure that this young man's name will always be remembered. I vowed that I can start a scholarship where people will remember. And the purpose of the scholarship was to help uh, minority high school graduates to go to HBCUs. We must continue the fight. For those of you in the community who have who've never been involved, you need to get involved. You don't know what laws are being passed. You don't know anything unless you do get involved. And if you stay home and sit idly by, there will be laws that may adversely affect you. So please take heed. And again, we're here to support the Green family, and as Marion said, there are too many mothers in that coalition for concerned mothers. The numbers are growing steadily, but we need to curb that. The chains of justice will be broken if we continue the fight. Thank you.
5: Next we'll hear from Tawanda Jones
2: who is the sister of Tyrone West, who was killed by Baltimore City Police in 2013 and is a force behind West Wednesdays.
5: Thank you so much. And uh, my heart goes out to William Green's family, as well as all the mothers that are staying here today that have lost their loved ones. For me to lose my brother... And when I got that call from my sister to say that William Green Keller walked away free, it took me back to the path that I've been chasing for 10 long years. The path for justice. Trying to go to Annapolis to testify as they fall asleep and laugh at us. Go to every town hall meeting, taking time from my family, being a mother, teacher, all that. For them to laugh at us, turn their cell phones on, and sometimes escort us out, just for speaking our mind in a peacefully way. So I realized there is no justice. It's just us trying to hold these killer cops accountable. While they're wrecking havoc in our community, they're protected by all these laws. Qualified immunity and you're killing a whole entire black community. It's sad and it's disgusting and it needs to stop. And if they didn't get it right 30 years ago, the same thing, just a different victim with Archie Elliott handcuffed in the front, hands behind his back, placed up front, I'm sorry. And the same thing happened now in 2023 to our brother. Do we honestly think that they're gonna actually get it right? They're not, there is no justice, it's just us. We need to knock this dirty system down and build it back up. I'm tired of trying. And if I didn't care, we wouldn't be out here tonight. But how many mothers gotta cry? How many babies gotta die before y'all get it right? Y'all don't have no plans. I learned early when my brother Tyrone West, an unarmed man was beat to death by 17 killer cops. In broad daylight, pepper spray, taste, kick, and what they do, they make it seem like our loved ones got what they deserve and that they were super Negroes. Nobody can adore the murders, the bloody murders, the executions that they placed upon our babies and our brothers, fathers, and mothers. But they make it seem like we're inhuman. Oh, He got kicked by a baton. He got stomped in the face. He got pepper sprayed. He got beat down by big men and women. But they ain't do nothing. There is no justice. It's just us. And then the saddest part, and I'm a great end. Everybody is in the bed together. And then for these family, for these politicians to come out and disrespect families, shame on Alicia Brave Boy. And I said it. Say How dare you? How dare you? Disrespect the family. And it's said. Remember, all skin folks ain't kin folks. And they keep using that. Oh, they going to say, nah, they ain't caring about nothing but their paycheck. We're in a capitalist world that don't care about anything but money. That's all it's about. Money. I had to turn down millions of dollars because you weren't going to go and silence my voice to talk about them 17 maniacs. I had to go on my pocketbook because David Fowler lied and said my brother died of a heart attack and dehydration when he was murdered. 50 grand, I ain't doing a go for me. That was my money. My brother had the last word, but did it matter? 542 weeks, we still are in. Same pain every time somebody get murdered with injustice. It's all of us. So I'm gonna be here with my sister Nikki. I'm be with all the mothers and fathers. Like my mother William Mom said, we don't sign up for this club. This is a nightmare that nobody asked for. And if we don't get it right, guess what? You a phone call, a door knock, away from it happening to you. Mic check. Mic Mic check. We're we
2: Next, We're going to hear from Gus, who's a member of the Prince George's County Coalition and is also a member of the Ujima People's Progress Party.
6: Initially, um, I was thinking about talking about lessons, but I don't think that's the right word. I think the right word is affirmations. And affirmation number one is that this notion that black representation is equivalent to black justice is absolutely wrong. It simply isn't the case. It isn't the case here in Prince George's County. It isn't the case in Atlanta when they're fighting against Cop City. And you know they're trying to bring a $330 million Cop City to Baltimore. All right, just so y'all know, okay? All right, so that's the first affirmation. The second affirmation is this notion that we can reform this system. We gotta get over it. it. It can't be reformed, okay? 30 years ago, 30 years ago in the Archie Elliott case, And now, 30 years later, this case, they're amazingly similar. And in spite of our best efforts, this is not about people not trying. In spite of our best efforts, reform hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. Okay. So, what we have to do is we have to look at these systems that we're talking about. And we have to see that we have to radically uh, just deconstruct them and radically rebuild them. Okay. And when we rebuild them, they're going to look like something we've never even recognized. Okay. Under a rebuilt system, and those of us in the Eugene People's Progress Party, we feel that a rebuilt system would be in the form of a community control of police. Not community policing, that's just a PR thing. Community control of police, where we control the budgets, we control who we hire, who we fire. Under community control of police, uh, Michael Owen, he'd been, he been gone a long time ago. Or not even got on the force. Okay, But to do this, to do this, we have to study these systems. We, we have to be committed to studying the systems in which we're in, okay? This is a settler-colonial project, the United States, okay? We can't forget that. And in a settler-colonial project, the type of vi- uh, violence that was visited upon William Green is the norm and not the exception, all right? Whether it's here today or whether it's in occupied Palestine today, all right? It's a settler-colonial project, and that's the way it works, okay? The last affirmation that I'll um, talk about is the fact that If we're going to change the system, we have to have a radical change in our tactical thinking, all right? A radical change in our paradigm because the system is not going to be changed from the top down. It will only be changed from the bottom up, and that's our task. And we welcome you all to join us.
2: And last, we'll hear from Dawn Dalton, who's a directly impacted mother and also the founder of the Just Us Initiative. Good evening, everyone. Again, my name is
7: Dawn Dalton. I am the co-founder of the Just Us Initiative. And I stand here tonight as a directly impacted mother. I'm happy that I'm able to say that my son has been harmed and dragged through the criminal justice system. Of course, unjustly, but I have my son, unlike a lot of the relatives, the mothers, the cousins, the sisters that are out here this evening. I want to say one thing, and this is major to me. I hope the system that is currently in place understands that you created a monster, and we now have a monster walking amongst us. What happened in the case of William Green should terrify everybody that can hear my voice right now. If it happened to them on this type of evidence, with this situation, it can happen to anybody. So for everybody that feels real comfortable right now, God bless you, because you could be any of us on any given day, and if you think it cannot happen, you better think again. Because all of us standing right here now thought it could not happen to us. Okay? We all have to stick together. We have to hold our legislators accountable. Instead of legislators talking about putting kids on chain gangs and and what they're going to do to punish them and how they're going to punish their parents, let's talk about the wraparound services that we can provide to these children and we can provide to these families. People are struggling out here. Don't criminalize black people for every little thing the position and the predicament that you put black people in. I'm urging everybody, get engaged. For those of us that know it's our job to start to educate. We all got to stick together. It's all of our battle. Because, again, it can and it has happened. It can happen again tomorrow. And we'll be in the same situation unless we get these laws changed. Hold your legislators accountable.
5: Accountable. Hold them accountable. If they're not right, don't vote for them.
7: And all of us, we need to start teaching our young people, our families, our community about the criminal justice system. What really goes on behind those closed doors? A whole lot of us get run through the system and we still come out not understanding anything. But I can promise you this. Had my son been the one to shoot a William Green or had the tables been turned, my son's black ass would have been gone.
8: Let's do better. Everybody,
7: all of us, all of us are accountable, every single one of us, from the legislators to the individual standing here tonight, to the people people listening, the whole community. We have to be accountable. We have to do better. And again, remember, we have a monster walking a monster. No justice, no peace. No,
5: peace. no crooked no police. No justice, no peace.
2: Last, we're just going to hear from Nikki Owens once again, just to read the full demands from the family. We're asking the U.S. Department of Justice
9: to investigate the killing of William Green. Corporal Michael Owen violated the civil and constitutional rights of William Green and many others in his 10 years on the PGPD. The state of Maryland had over 10 years to hold him accountable for his volatile behavior, which includes triggering the use of force early warning system multiple times. They did nothing. The Prince George's County Police Department, the state's attorney, the county executive all played a role in allowing him to remain certified as a police officer. We are asking the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate the actions of Prince George's County state's attorney, the state's attorney's office processes, procedures, and in the prosecution of William Green. We are asking the Maryland Attorney General Anthony Brown to investigate the processes and procedures. Of the Prince George's County State's Attorney's Office, not just in the prosecution of the killing of William Green, but their handling of all cases under Aisha Brave Boy. That's right. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And Nikki Owens, cousin of William Green, shot to death by Prince George's County Maryland police in January of 2020, will have the last word on today's show. This is On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. You can work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, OnTheGroundShow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or X Twitter or supporting us on Patreon.com forward slash OnTheGroundShow. You can also write us at contact at OnTheGroundShow.org. And I will link to every show on my Instagram page, which is Esther underscore Averum, E-S-T-H-E-R underscore I-V-E-R-E-M, like Mary. The Free Palestine Movement is continuing with actions. You can follow those actions at shutitdownforpalestine.org and at answercoalition.org. Again, the next national march on Washington for Palestine is January 13th, 1 p.m. on the National Mall. Our podcast, On the Ground with Esther Ivarum, is on all your podcast platforms. The music we played this hour included Harvest for the World by the Isley Brothers, by Any Beat Necessary, Malcolm X Tribute by DJ Ajamu, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.